winter. Hello and welcome to the 24th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Alva and Gomatra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Neil Munro. Neil is our first participant to hail from Ulva. I'm delighted he was able to spend time with me on this. The Isle of Ulva is somewhere of great importance to so many people, myself included. We recorded this episode in the study of Ulva House. Ulva, which is now, I'm delighted to say, a community-owned island. The ground floor of Ulva House has a beautiful wooden floor, which you'll hear throughout the course of the episode, as my dogs clatter around on it quite a bit. As if on cue. Hello, Merrin. For which I apologise. Both my dogs make an appearance at different points in the episode, so keep your ears peeled for their snoring and clattering noises. At a certain point in the podcast, you're going to hear Mark Summers' interpretation of the What We Do in the Winter theme tune, which I'm delighted with. I've asked the followers of the podcast on social media to come up with their own versions of the theme, which I'll incorporate into future episodes. So, if you're good with a Bon Tempe, or particularly skilled on the recorder, I'd love to hear your take on it. Thank you very, very much, Mark, and my fond regards to Orkney. I'll be back with you with more at the end of the podcast. And now, I give you Neil Munro. Who are you? Uh, I am Neil Munro, and I grew up on Alva. And that's my dog. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, where do you live these days? So I live in the Isle of Mull. Um, I'm over at Glengorm, which is one of the estates just in the north side of the island, so not too far from here. I say here, we're obviously on the Isle of Alva right now. Um, so I've, I've spent most of my life living on either Alva or Mull, with some little kind of jaunts elsewhere in between. Whereabouts were you actually born? 1986, I was born in the Vale of Leaven Hospital, um, and <clears throat> the family at the time, we lived quite close by, just on the edge of a wee village called Gartaharn. I don't know if you're familiar Aye, with yeah, it, the yeah, kind yeah. of Balloch area. Yep. Um, so that's where my dad's family's from, right, okay. and and that's where we lived at the time. My mother was from Mull herself, though. Um, so we lived down there, and uh, used to come up on holiday to Mull to visit relatives up here, go and stay in Dervik, which was, which was always fun as a young kid. Um, just run around in the, <laughs> in the the outbacks of Dervik and. Uh, there was, I remember things like there was a wee yellow tractor that Johnny Nan had that sat where the where the recycling bins are just outside of Dervig over the bridge now. We'd go and play there and run along to the old byre and <clears throat> and whatnot. So oh, that was the that was the holidays when we were wow. when we were kids. And then when I was about five years old, we moved to Alva itself. What was Gartaharn like to grow up in? Was it quite nice? It was it was a nice wee place. Again, just a very quiet wee kind of Scottish village, and we were just. We were just a mile or so outside of the village. Um, there was a wee dairy farm at the back of, of the house where we were. So it was kind of a bit of country life too, um, although still in that kind of central belt kind of area. And what, was your, what were your folks doing at that point? Uh, so my mother was looking after six children. I'm the, I'm the youngest of six. And my father was working um, on the roads at the time. So I was, I was quite young when we left there. I don't have the, the best of memories of it, but... It was it was a happy wee childhood there. Yeah. Um, like I say, I always enjoyed coming to Mull Aye. for for the holidays, and then we came to Alva when I just turned five years old. So it must have been um, about January of nineteen ninety two or something like that at the time. Um, my uncle Ian was in Alva already. He was the Aye. he was the shepherd here. Okay. Um, 
and so there was a vacancy for the ferryman's job and so he, he put his brother up to it so we moved up as a family then fantastic so were you conscious of all that with your uncle being here or? i was yes i was um or I, or I think i was i believe Aye. i was and i remember the first day that we came over i just ran up the ran up the steps to the side of the boathouse and and just kind of looked all around about me and and just thought wow this this place is amazing um as much as we had a bit of freedom down around about guard harn when you're on an island it's just just a next level and and mull was one thing but but alva was something else entirely yeah. so yeah. it's like being thrust into a Mark Twain novel or something like that, just yeah. thrown back in time. So Going to make a great. raft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were six of you in the family and two yeah. adults. Yes, there were. Yeah. And where did where did you all live when you first got here? Uh, so we moved into the ferry house, um, and it's a it's a decently sized house, but yeah. there were the children shared bedrooms at the time. There was a bit of a range in terms of age as yeah. well, because like I say, I think I'd just turned five, and uh, my the oldest of us is my sister Jennifer. She was around about sixteen at the yeah. time, so I think not long after after that, I think she decided to move in with my grandparents in Dervig, which had a little bit more of a social oh, okay. scene for a sixteen-year-old. Cool. So that helped create a little bit more space yeah. for the rest of us. Um, it was a busy little household with all of us in there, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a nice house. But it was winter time when we moved, and it's. It's obviously a lot colder up this part of the world than, yeah. than elsewhere. So yeah. we used to be kind of huddled in with the hot water bottles, looking at the looking at the ice on the inside of the windows. <laughs> so, yeah. Exciting, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very very cold. Yeah. 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 And whereabouts were your grandparents in Dervik? Uh, so my grandmother, Katie McCrone, she lived just kind of in monobeg houses, so just kind of at the top of the village. Yeah. Um, she was originally from Uist, but she uh, she moved to Glengorm herself um, when she was a young lady and, and worked in the castle up there. Right. Um, and she met my grandfather, Huey McCrone, who was, he was from Tubermory originally. Gosh, so there's there's weavings all, all, the way. all over the place. Right. All over the place. So what about uh, your grand, what was your grand's uh, maiden name then? Her maiden name was McDougall. She was mm-hmm. Katie McDougall from uh, from Uist. And then she married Huey McCrone right. and, and she... That was her name when she lived in Dervig. So, and were there? Um, I know we've just talked about this, so I'm just going to pretend that I'm just asking it for the first time. But <laughs> and, and were there any family connections to Alva in the past? Well, I, I wasn't aware of a family connection. I'd originally thought it was it was only that my uncle was Ian. He was the shepherd, and, and then my dad came as the ferryman. But yeah. it turns out that on my mother's side, um, so her father was from Mull, and just a couple of generations before that, um, her kind of great grandparents they they actually lived in Alva themselves. Um, so they lived here and they were would seen a, a marriage record they had to get married in the church here in all the Telford church um, and then at some point in time they, they had to leave and they, they just didn't move far just across the water to to Oscomal, so round the Alva ferry kind of way so the, it's quite it's quite nice to know there's a historical link in the family mm. side so on, on my mum's side there's a bit of history and then recently we discovered that on my father's side as well a lot further back they were also on Alva too so on my father's side, um, at one point in time, they were the, the McCrimmons from Skye, the, the famous Pipers. Uh, and there was a, a lady of that sect of the family. She moved to Alva and and married and lived here for a while. So so on each side of my family, we've got a connection to Alva, um, but in very different times and circumstances. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to know that it's kind of come full circle and here we are again. 
Very much so. Very ne- much. Never to leave again. Well, indeed, yeah. I mean, very much core part of the of the island structure, yeah. And are, is there anyone in the family that plays the pipes now? Uh, there may be some nephews <laughs> that do, um, between myself and my siblings. No, my, my uncle Ian was actually a piper, gotcha. so he, he played the pipes. Um, the rest of us haven't been gifted musically, I don't believe. And just in appreciating it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although my sister Emma, she played the fiddle when we were wee as well. Yeah. So you come here, you get the sense of a space and adventure. What did you do as a five-year-old, six-year-old uh, for fun around here? What was what were the fun things to do? Running around in the woods most of the time. Um, we're always just we're very outdoorsy. Yeah. Um, there was no there was no real television at the time, so you had to be outdoors. You yeah. get pretty bored. Right. Um, we, we did have a television, but the uh, the terrestrial signal on Alva was almost non-existent. So at the at the best, you would maybe have one channel that was coming through <laughs> in black and white and very fuzzy. It was a, a colour TV, but never picking picking up any. Um, so we're outdoors a lot. Um, we'd play in the woods and in the fields. There were actually quite a few children on the island at the time. Um, and we'd be out in the boats as well, do a lot of rowing around about the island. Oh, and amazing go picking whelks to try and earn a pound or two as well yeah. to go and spend in the boathouse. Um, and then the rest of the time you'd be either observing the adults engaging in some kind of work and, and you'd be faffing around the edges or um, or you'd be being put to work yourself and told to go gather some sheep. I'm told, oh, there's a, there's a Mars bar in it for you if you help me gather these sheep. Fantastic. Never saw it yet, but that's a very big Mars bar now with inflation. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what kind of jobs did you enjoy doing when you could? What were the real highlights? Like, yes, I'm about to do this. Or oh, just just everything, just being outdoors, like I say. And and it was there were there were a lot of animals on the island. There were about a thousand or twelve hundred sheep, um, about forty five cattle as well. So going along and, and feeding them in the winter was was always kind of fun. It was nice. Yeah. Um, We'd sometimes get roped into to going up to Gometra as well, which was a, a bit of a, a day trip up there to yeah. to go and get involved. There was always animals moving around. There was always always something happening, and there were <clears throat> fences being built or dikes going up. And I remember the Sheila's cottage got rethatched, and so oh, that yes. was quite exciting to kind of again. I probably wasn't of much use, but just to kind of loiter around and, yeah. and pass someone a tool and see it being uh, see an ancient heritage craft like that being used. Yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, it must have been quite something. Just that's currently there's a new thatching going on for that soon, isn't there? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Um, it it must have been quite a while ago that the first one went on, um, and it's nice to see. It's nice to see it preserved like that as well. Yeah, totally. Your dad was saying about um, Sheila's son having died in the cottage as well. I didn't know this. Yeah, it was apparently appendicitis. Ah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. twenty one or something like that. Which yeah, brutal. Sad, very sad. A lot of sad tales all over the island, though, and, and yeah, a lot of death. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and, or were there any ghost stories from the island that you remember at all as a kid? I wasn't really familiar with many stories that other people told, but but just between us growing up, there were one or two occasions where you kind of we used to have a a coal heap outside. We had a just an open fire, and so you'd have to go out and gather a bit of coal when the fire was dying down. And more than one of us on separate occasions. Kind of said we're out there in some dark night, and then kind of seen a figure of of, of some kind walking along. Nothing, nothing too eerie, but just no. there are no people around. There's nobody. Mm. 
there are no neighbors, nobody to be walking around in the yeah. darks of winter. So I suppose everyone has some kind of tale like that. Yeah. Um, but certainly, yeah, there were there were a few of us would see something or believe we saw someone yeah. around about. In the boathouse um, area. Yeah, in the boathouse area and and elsewhere in the island as well, up near the farm. Um, so I never used to like walking from the farm back down to the ferry when it was particularly dark. <laughs> yeah. Walking through the woods, it's uh, there's a definite vibe, a definite kind yeah. of feeling. Um, there's a there's a, a story. It's not a ghost story, but a a, a dark story. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of Christie's Rock? No. Just off the island, there's a wee rock, and it's called Christie's Rock. Um, I'm probably going to butcher this story, but Perhaps I remember um, Cressy McDonald from Van Moore telling me it before. And the reason it was called Christie's Rock was there was a, a, a long time ago, there was an old kayak. She kind of accused a young girl of, of stealing what they called a kepach, which was a, a wheel of cheese. And uh, she accused this girl and a, and a fight broke out and, and she struck the girl in the head with a stone and, and she actually killed the young girl. And so the rest of the islanders weren't weren't too chuffed about it so they so they took the they took the woman down and they tied her to a stone at low tide and then the tide came in and uh, she was no more so the the rocks named after the young the young girl who who had passed away but gosh so maybe one of them has been lighting yeah. around the coal scuttle. It's <laughs> possible, looking yeah. for someone to spook. Yeah, or... looking for some cheese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, um, Chris, I love talk about Chrissy as well. She was a remarkable person. Did you know her quite well growing up? Yes, yes. So so Chrissy used to work in the in the boathouse um, oh, right, back okay. in the day. And and she was she was a font of knowledge. Um, she could speak Gaelic and mm. she knew a lot about the history of Mull and Alva and and she, it's a shame she's not still here now yeah. because she could tell you, she could tell you who everyone was, all of their ancestry, yeah. what all of the place names were, and and she's a very interesting woman. Um, she's remarkable. Yeah. And and there was a few of them on the island. To be fair, there was also, um, I don't know if you ever knew uh, Rosemary Nicholson. She was the Jeannie McCall's sister. Oh right, okay. And, right. and so she lived here, and she was the maid in the big house. Ah, um, right. And she was. I don't know what kind of age she was when I was a child, but she was quite a hardy woman. Yeah. And, and we had cows in Alva when, when I was younger, and she would go and milk the cows in the morning uh, just at the dairy over, over by us now at the farm. Mm-hmm. And she would bring a, a, one of the old kind of steel milk churns down to you in the mornings, and um, she'd be baking for the boathouse and, and taking care of the big house. And Gosh. even We used to have burnt suppers every year in the island, and Rosemary would always make a haggis. It was... Um, Wow. A traditional haggis, a, re- a real haggis. Yeah. She would always make those. Um, so, like I say, there were there were there were lots of very interesting people, and especially lots of strong women on the island growing yeah. up. Yeah, where would the the burn supper take place? Those would be held in the in the church. Right. So, believe it or not, there actually used to be a lot of parties here yeah. back in the day, and um, we'd always have a burn supper, and that was a fairly big event. Yeah. Um, and there'd be people coming over from Fanmore and Trelawsk and. and yeah. Dervig, even to Bermori sometimes. Um, there'd be, and obviously all the residents of the island as well. Yeah. Um, so there'd be in the church and there were always good occasions. And it, it's probably a bit kind of unique because in other places always hear of, of the adults having parties and the kids kind of not being involved. But yeah. over here it was never like that. It was yeah. all of us were there. We were all there. And, That's lovely. and lots of merriment going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lots of whiskey being passed around between the, the adults and... 
Some iron brew for the kids. Iron brew. Yeah. Yes, that's what it's called. That's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> so who were the other kids growing up when uh, when you were here? Well, I was I was one of six, obviously. Yes. Um, so that was <laughs> the a good, Monroes. Yeah, that was a good start. That was one sect of the Monroes, but we had the Monroes at Brackadale Farm as well. So uh-huh. my uncle Ian, he he had um, four children too. Um, there was the Howards as well, so mm-hmm. uh, Colorin and William, mm-hmm. who were around about the same age as myself, and over various points of time there were there were different families that lived here for a couple of years or so um there were often uh, fish farmers lived on the island so there's a couple of fish farms dotted around the island and mm. they used to they used to rent accommodation for their staff or they would secure accommodation for their staff so uh, there were always children about and even from the mall side as well um so philip hori that's uh, michelle mm-hmm. cow's son he was around and and uh, John and Ben Bolton from round at Toast Street too. Fantastic. Uh, the leeches were there as well. So there were there were always plenty of folk around about here. It was nice, just the right amount, not so, too many. Exactly. Yeah, a, good, a select crowd. Yeah. That meant that the school at that point in Alva Ferry was pretty pretty well stocked with folk. Uh, <laughs> by by all the school standards, yes. Um, there was usually about a dozen children or so at any given time. Maybe a a few more or a few less mm-hmm. but but yeah there was there were there were a few of us and and my age certainly as well um there were always at least the three of us there was myself and William Howard and John O'Bolton as well Fantastic. which was nice it was good to have um yeah and who were the teachers at that point when i first went to Oliver primary school it was Meg Douglas wow. and and Betsy Ingram as yeah. well um and it was a great school to go to as yeah. well because obviously it was it was so small that yeah. you got a lot of attention from the the teachers, um, and it was quite nice as well to mix with all the children that were different ages because yeah. you you kind of had to because it was so small. <laughs> That's only twelve. Um, and and the education was quite good as well. Yeah. We were we were always doing something quite interesting. I remember Meg Douglas taking us to on more than one occasion to go and excavate a kiln somewhere in, on Mull or, or do something historical like that that was quite interesting. The classrooms, we had, I don't know why, but we had bizarre things like we had the old jars that would uh, have an old, a, a dead snake kind of preserved in it or a seahorse or, or, nice. or something. So it was it was a strange school, but it was it was good. It was a nice time. Um, so, so they were there for the first few years. Yeah. And then Fiona Reid yes. was the teacher. Yeah. So she was married to Dougie Reed, who was yeah. a fisherman around by Alva. Yeah. Uh, and she was fantastic as well. Again, it was always quite kind of interactive classes we had. Um, and and we were allowed to do a lot of artistic kind yes. of, um, activities as well, which was nice. So so I feel like we got we got a really good, ed- strong education in Alva Primary School. And then we went to Tobermory High School. And from all the way through, I think the importance of, of being, being a polymath was always kind of drummed into us. Um, so it was, it was, it was great. It was good. Hi. That's fantastic to hear. Yes. So that that sense of a broad interest is mm. core of, of who you are now. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I say not just myself either. When you look at where everyone from that school has gone in life, we're we're spread out all all over the world. Um, probably a few folk are in places like Glasgow or Edinburgh now. Yeah. Uh, Robert Leach is in Russia. Um, wow. Philip Horry's winning awards and kung fu in china and things like that yeah. and so it's really interesting to see to see where everyone's gone from there it's brilliant yeah. 
so you went to Tobermory High. What? 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 Hello, dog. What are you up to? Yes, you can, you can sit down. Right, lie down. Lie down. You lie down. Lie down. Lie down. Lie down. Lie down. It wouldn't be an Alva podcast without some animals. Exactly. <laughs> kicking about. Yeah. Hi. Right, so, um, what was Tobermory High like as a school to go to? It was a it was a good school. Um, it was. I'll be honest. As much as I say, oh, school was great. I was never really that enthusiastic to to go yeah. in the mornings. Um, no, it's miles away. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it, it did take a while, and and I didn't really like being stuck indoors for the day. And and while when I got there, it was fine, and I and I passed my classes. Um, but but I was never really that interested in being stuffed away in a in a classroom. Um, but it was a good school again. Lots, uh, relatively small, only a couple of hundred pupils, um, and some a good kind of core base of teachers there as well. Yeah. Um, Any that stick out for you at all? Uh, Janet McDonald, um, the Gaelic teacher, she was good. I'd, I'd never actually learned Gaelic until I went to high school. Right. Um, so my mum spoke Gaelic as a youngster. Yeah. Because um, she she grew up in Dervig, yeah. and, and that's what they spoke at home. Yeah. Um, but she she didn't really talk to us in Gaelic and, and we didn't learn that in, in primary school or anything yeah. so um, I, I didn't learn that until I went to high school and I kind of I enjoyed it straight away and Janet was a very good teacher as well yeah. um, What was it that you enjoyed about Gaelic? Because it's a, it's a hard language well, in some ways Yeah uh, I think the fact that I found it quite easy for some reason something Brilliant. just kind of clicked yeah. um, there's, there's also there is a kind of there's a cultural connection as well. Yeah. Totally. So especially when you grow up in somewhere like Alva, it it really was culturally very Scottish. You felt like a Tuchter living here, yeah. and you're surrounded, and it was reinforced all the time. This kind of uh, West Coast culture. Um, so we had our Burns nights, and yeah. and the men all, all wore kilts, and everyone drank whiskey, and. and it, and the place names that are around you, half of them are in Gaelic, and, and most or, of them, or yeah. most of them, yeah, yeah or, or some Norse as well mixed in yeah. over here, of course, as well. But it was it was something that just seemed familiar to me. Uh, and my grandmother Katie from Dervig, she was she was very Tudor. She was she was from Uist, and she was the first person to ever hear speaking Gaelic. I still don't know what she was saying, but yeah. <laughs> um, can you remember her voice at all? I can. She had a very very. I won't do an impression. <laughs> I want to cause offence to, to my, my mother. Dad, but, no, my <laughs> what I do remember is she would constantly just be saying, Oh, yeah, Misha. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I remember one in, one in our family was, Yeah, hey. Like, oh, that's grotty. <laughs> Tells you a lot about our family about yeah. it, yeah. So, so I, I think it just kind of clicked the whole the whole Gaelic thing. It, it made sense. Um, and, and I like the fact as well that. English is such a concise language and it's quite literal and you always say exactly what you mean. Yes. Whereas there, there's just, with Gaelic, there's so many words that yeah. there's just so much more to them. Yeah. Um, so I found that interesting. Uh, and again, Janet was a good teacher. Yes. Um, yeah. So I was I was quite interested in that when I, was, when I was in school. But again, ever since I left, which was now 15 years ago, you don't really find an excuse to, to speak Gaelic on a kind of day-to-day basis. So You have to make it, I find. Yeah, so so most of my vocabulary is probably kind of eroded or, or it's hidden away Waiting somewhere at the back. Waiting to be Yeah, someday. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, yeah, Colin and I chat together in Gaelic 
quite often. Mm. And we send abuse to each other in Gaelic. Your text. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm a ten. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a polite one. Uh, <laughs> so now, you, yeah, you got to make it your own. You got to, but obviously, to be understood by other folk as well. But there was quite a big push by the time I was leaving high school for folk to get more involved with Gaelic. Kind of suggested that maybe I should go to Salmarostic up in Sky, yeah. um, which which would have been a good opportunity. It would have been interesting, but. Having lived on a very small island my whole life when I was yeah. 17 and heading off to university. The last thing you wanted to do. <laughs> I didn't really want to go to another yeah. island. So, What did you do at university? Uh, I studied law. So I went to Edinburgh, uh, Napier University in Edinburgh. And I studied law there. Um, did you get the whole degree? No, I, I did a couple of years. And again, I was I just kind of felt the itch. I was... Yeah. Uh, I was stuck in a classroom and it was it was quite kind of slow. I feel like they could have really condensed the degree into a, yeah. a couple of short years. And I just kind of, when all the, a lot of the other folk were back home and they were working away and they were fishing and things yeah. like that, I thought, oh, I want to prove I'm a man and yeah. go to sea and make some money. And, and I thought I would always maybe return to university at some stage. But I came back to Mull and uh, I was working... I worked in a few different fishing boats for over a few years, and uh, I worked around about around about Alva at the Creels, um, and then I'd, I quite often I'd kind of do it seasonally, and I'd, I'd hop on board with someone else for the winter. Right, so okay. um, worked with uh, Davy McKee uh-huh. uh, yes. for a while, and that was very interesting because we got to see a lot of a lot of the country. Um, we were fishing for queenies a lot of the time, so queen right. scallops, yeah. um, trawling for queen scallops, and it took us took us away down to. The Mulligalloway and across to across the Irish Sea, yeah. a bit of time fishing off Rathlin, um, in Northern Ireland, yeah, yeah. and and yeah, it was nice. And and the rest of the time, yeah, we'd, we'd even head up north towards Skye. At some point, we found ourselves up near Shetland. I don't quite know what we were doing, wow. <laughs> and, but it's very interesting to see see the coast from from a ship like that. Yeah, totally. See a bit of the country. So after that, um, am I right in remembering you went self-employed with, was it a crab scheme that you were Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, Gordon Turnbull. He, he'd started off, he was he was buying crab from his brother Kenny and, and just kind of processing it there at Croig. Um, and and when he, he was given that up to take on the, the oyster, I'd actually helped Gordon out a few times and um, he was going to take over the oyster farm and, and that was just going to kind of die. So I thought I'd take that up for a while. Um, and that was that was quite quite fun it was interesting i learned a lot on yeah. the job with it but it was quite hectic because you were dealing with a with a kind of live product and and the whole point was it was you don't often see crab on on menus because it takes a long time for chefs to to prepare it yeah. you need you need a big pot and a lot of water to boil it it takes yeah. a while and then you've got to bash the crab and extract the meat and, and a lot of the time they're, they're quite kind of wasteful they only really take the claw meat right. which is, is a bit of a waste for the rest of the animal so Anyway, we would we would cook the crab, extract the meat, back pack it, and it, you know a chef then has fresh crab meat to put in their menu. Yeah. But it has a very short shelf life, so you're always yeah. in a bit of a rush. <laughs> you could never really get ahead of yourself. Um, but it it was it was a good job. It was it was an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Um, and and you kind of you got to know a little bit about running a business and and yeah. and dealing with. Um, environmental health officers and and, yeah. and dealing with customers as well so i did that for for a couple of years um and who did you sell to uh i still have everything 
Wow, it's, it's I mean, not got it all. Oh, that's oh gosh, you've got rid of the crap. Oh, but that's, <laughs> there's a crab packing opportunity somewhere oh, in the future. Some, but, some yeah. But, Anyone that wants to move to Alva and start a crab packing, a crab packing business, give me a call. Who um, who did you? Who were the chef like the chefs in that you sold to? Though was it local? Was it there was a lot? There was a lot local. Um, it already uh, the Gordon had already kind of set up quite a nice wee business. There was there was some most most of the places in the island really would buy it, um, and then. You had uh, likes of the White House over in Lachalan as well, yeah. and then Oban, and quite a few places in Oban, and then down to uh, down to a few f- places in Glasgow as well, like so the the Crab Shack down there, and oh, yeah. things like that. So there was, I think, a couple of places even in Edinburgh right. too. Um, so there, there were quite a quite a few people wanted. You could essentially you could sell as much as you could process. Wow! Um, uh, because it's it's something that anyone would quite like to put on their plate, on their menu. Yeah. If you're a chef, if you don't have to spend all those hours yeah. cracking crab, then, then it, yeah, it just, <laughs> yeah. very easy for them. And was that a centrifuge you used or something like that to crack it was, crab or? It was, um, we had a, we had a pretty big pot as a gas burner underneath. Yeah. Um, so we'd cook it in there and then it would, we'd take it into the processing room and just have a really small little um, stainless steel hammer just oh, yeah. crack the clap, uh, the claws open, yeah. and and then just extract the meat with with we kind of we forks. Right, that's really labour intensive. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's quite time consuming as well. Yeah, so, like I say, lots of time restraints with the job, trying trying to get it done and trying to get it out. And so, how did you um, did you freeze it first, like flash flash freeze it? No, nope, you... just just straight. And so we would get it and uh, we'd get the the crab live. Um, and then put it into a cold store. Yeah. So there's a cold store unit, and within a few hours, again, you would you'd be cooking it and then processing it right. straight away. And and the idea was to just get it out as fast as possible. Um, it was up to the up to any of the establishments themselves if they wanted to freeze it and they could yeah. keep it for a while. But it seemed like most people just really wanted it, just really fresh. Super, obviously, yeah. 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 That's amazing. So I did that for a while, and. Uh, and then I'd seen there was there was work going at one of the fish farms locally, and and I kind of thought it'd be nice to no longer be self-employed and yeah. <laughs> to be a number. Yeah. Uh, and so I went back round to Ulva uh-huh. again, <laughs> never stay away for long. Oh. And and I was salmon farming round here for a few years. Um, How was that? It was actually quite interesting. It's 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 an interesting um, job because if you look at agricultural farming for example they've been doing it for so many hundreds of years and it's been evolving and 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 they've got to the stage they are now whereas aquaculture is quite young and and they've only really been salmon farming for for kind of 30 years or something like that and at first i can imagine it was probably quite brutal didn't really know what they were doing and and you know lots of mistakes were probably made but that's how you learn yeah and and so um yeah, by the time I got involved, there was there was a lot of there'd been a lot of progress made, and and <clears throat> the quality of the salmon that could be produced yeah. really was, was. If you're in a good site, then it it was really kind of replicating wild salmon as as best you could you could hope for. Um, so whereabouts in the the the, the salmon process where are you? What, what what were you in hatcheries? Were you in? No, it was on the sea sites themselves. Um, so. You would you would start off with with the wee smolts that would be brought out brought out to the sea sites from the hatcheries, and they'd maybe be about 
somewhere between 60 and a, and 100 grams usually, so tiny wee yeah, things. <laughs> uh, so they'd come out onto the site and you were basically looking after them for, for about a year and a half or so, um, and you'd grow them up to an average of maybe about four and a half, five kilos, something like that. Um, so a lot of it was to do with just feeding the fish, making sure that they were properly fed, that, that they were growing okay, um, making sure there were no kind of health issues. Um, yeah. And then just basic maintenance of the site that's as well, making sure that everything was secure and tidy and that you don't have ropes and chains and things dragging across the yeah the loch. Um, like I say, there was it's a very interesting job. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed that as well, especially being around by Alva or being in a boat. It was it was nice to be back back to that. It was a Scottish Salmon Company, so I've had yeah. a few names over the years. They were Lighthouse Caledonia when I started oh, okay. with them. Six months later, they were the Scottish Salmon Company. But how was it working for a bigger company like that? It was, it was kind of what I'd wanted at that stage in time. Um, essentially, a number on the books, and and you could kind of clock in and clock out, yeah. as it were. Um, yeah, it was it was a fairly small operation when I started around there. We had, uh, I think there were five of us that worked there, and we had two sites. But a few years down the line, there's they've got four sites running now. And there's probably about fifteen or sixteen guys working on them too. So it was a much smaller, yeah, much smaller operation back then when I started. And uh, where were you living at that point as well? I was living in Christ. Where was I living? <laughs> <laughs> Tobermory, I think, at the time, uh, just above the corner shop um, oh, yeah. on the on the main street. So commuting from there back to back to Alva Ferry, um, and. So I worked there for a few years, and then I actually ended up staying with the company, but but moving around a wee bit. So yeah. spent a bit of time down in Fine. I was working down there, living in Tarbert, uh, and then up in Mali as well. Ah, right. For, for a wee bit. Mali's a, an interesting town. Ah. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a lovely location, though. It's nice. It is. Uh, the scenery up there as well was actually was it was quite a fantastic. Did you get across the night at all? Uh, yep. Yes, amazing place. <laughs> Again, one of the perks of 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 having a boat at your job yes. is you can nip across. So, uh, yeah, good pub over there. Great pub, the old, <laughs> the old forge, is that? something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite bizarre. All all these weak places, though, like like here and yeah. Gometra and uh, islands like Col and yeah. places like that. It, there's you know full of characters. And, totally. Uh, so it was nice. It was it was kind of a bit of a home from home. Yeah, right up there. The West Coast does feel, yeah, you feel that you belong in the West Coast, I find. If you're from here, you yeah. really feel that everywhere, pretty much everywhere, yeah. somewhere you belong. I did meet Tom Hanks one day, though. Tom Honks, the French actor. <laughs> <laughs> How was Tom Hanks? Was he good? Yeah, a lovely chap. Lovely yeah. chap. He was on a, a big yacht out in the loch, and we were a bit nosy. We kind of saw this and thought, who's this? Huge big yacht, and it had a helicopter in the back of it. Wow. So we, we went over bearing gifts <laughs> oh, <laughs> to have a, a snoop around the boat and, and see, see who was there. and. I out, out he popped and he had a wee chat with us. And, Fantastic. Oh, he's a lovely man. This whiskey you brought is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Can you explain a little bit about your travels across the world? What What's, what's led you to travel across the world? Well, I'd always enjoyed a bit of travelling. Um, even when I was quite a young young man uh wanted to see a bit of the world and i'd often just do it alone just kind of just pack a bag and head somewhere um so i've 
tried to tried to see a lot of the world. It broadens your horizons. Yeah, but um, most of my travels have probably been uh, because of my very international wife. Mm-hmm. So, so I met a met a young lady once from Venezuela, and who uh, was based in in Texas, and uh, a few years later we were married. And so, there's been a lot of hopping back and forward across the Atlantic and yeah. and everywhere else in between and yeah. and. Yeah, so that's been quite a significant part of my life for the last six years or so. How did you meet your wife? Uh, well, I was I was in McGawkins in Tobermory one day at the pub. Um, I wasn't drinking, I have mm-hmm. to add. I was just having dinner at the bar. Um, and there was a young lady stood beside me for, for, for quite a while. Um, <laughs> the service was slow, thankfully, that, that, that day. Um, so Maria Lucia... Maria Lucia Zubiaga, my wife now. She was uh, from Venezuela, but living in Dallas, in Texas at the time. Oh. And she was at university, the University of Dallas. Um, and they have a program where they have a campus in Rome, in Italy. And Maria spent a semester studying over there. And she did a bit of traveling through Europe and studied in Greece for a while as well. And um, at the end of that time, she wanted to see as much of Europe as she possibly could, I yeah. think. And so... Her and a friend had, had travelled to Scotland and um, they went over to Iona for the day. And they were, I think the plan was they were going to spend the night in Tobermory and then travel up to Fort William or Inverness or somewhere the next right, day. Okay. So I was in the pub and, and I started talking to this girl that was beside me and she begrudgingly spoke back. <laughs> and somehow we managed to convince her and her friend to, uh, to stay an extra day in the island because her friend that she was traveling with was from Calgary in Canada. Oh, wow. And, and, and we played the old, well, you can't be from Calgary and not visit the original <laughs> Calgary here in the Isle of Mull. Yeah. So, uh, so the next day we, we did just that. Uh, we started off with a wee walk to the, the lighthouse path into Bermori, yeah. um, and then we went over to Calgary for the day. And I, we, we got on all right. <laughs> um, so, so we, we kept in touch and then been doing lots of to and fro and yeah. traveling back and forwards um, over, to, over to the States. And then yeah. in a, during a trip on June of 2017, uh-huh. we came over to Alva for the day and we had a wee wander about and I thought I'd pop the question. And so I asked her to marry me and I thought if she says no, my dad won't take her back in the ferry. So, <laughs> so she said yes. <laughs> is that a shotgun wedding? Is that what that is? <laughs> That's how we do it over here. We kidnap. <laughs> of course, prima nocta was a thing in Alva as well. But let's not talk about that. <laughs> uh, is there not a really nice tale about when you were in Nicaragua? There was a, a unexpected name calling. Is that right? Remembering that at all? Oh, is this the... The parrot? Yes, yes. So it was in Costa Rica. We're, Costa Rica. In, we're in Costa Rica. And uh, <laughs> and we we're, we drove our car down to this kind of remote little beach somewhere. Uh, and we're going to park it up. And, and there was a little shack down on the beach itself. And um, and a guy kind of came over and uh, Maria started chatting in Spanish mm. because hers is slightly better than mine. <laughs> and... <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, you can leave your car here, you know, it's safe and I'll keep an eye on it and blah, blah, blah. And he, he kind of said, uh, do you want to meet my friend? 
We didn't really know what he meant by that, but uh, yeah, sure, okay, see. And then he started to yell, Rudy, Rudy! <laughs> and this bright green parrot flew over uh, to come and visit us, which Rudy is my brother's name back here. Fantastic. And I never never really expected to, to, to hear that in Costa Rica <laughs> at the beach. A bright green and parrot called a bright, Rudy. A bright green parrot called Rudy came over and he, it was, oh, it, it climbed into the car and it was singing La Cucaracha to us. <laughs> and, and it was sitting on my shoulder and oh, I felt like a real pirate. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Much like your brother might. Oh well, <laughs> frequently. <laughs> can't can't get him off my shoulder. What do you think uh, the next steps in, in your adventure are? Well, the opportunities are endless. Yeah. It's 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 not a bad position to be in, where we're kind of looking at the world and saying, where do we want to be? Yeah, and 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 rather than a lot of people are, are kind of stuck in a certain situation or the or the look at it and say oh we're you know probably gonna have to do such and such um for ourselves it's it's almost like we we look at it like there's there are too many too many choices um so wherever we're we're gonna end up we're probably gonna be very happy but um but yeah it's it's almost like oh it'd be it'd be nice to live on mull and and you know i'm I'm the cheesemaker at the up at scrubrua farm and uh we could have a nice little farmy life over there or, or you look at Alva, for example, yeah. um, now that it's a, a community-owned island and there's a bit of a, a kind of, not a rebuilding, but a regeneration yeah. of the area. It, you know, part of me thinks it'd be really nice to be involved right now when, yes. when, when everything's just starting. It's, it's, totally. It's, I mean, that's a huge opportunity. There's, there's so many things somebody could do over here. Yeah. Totally. Um, but then home is always going to be here. Um, yeah. And so, you know, maybe maybe the States, the US, yeah, yeah. Um, or even someday Venezuela itself. Maybe one day, um, yeah. It's, again, it's not not easy times over no, there. It's quite, a, it's quite a, a difficult place to be. Yeah. But someday there might be a change. And if there is, again, to be part of the rebuilding process would be amazing. Would, would be amazing. And especially for, for Maria, it must be quite difficult to be yeah. kind of displaced from your home like that yeah. because... She could make a home in in the States yes. or over here or yes. in Spain or, or anywhere, but yeah. but nowhere will be quite the same. No. Yeah. How did you end up working for the Reed family in the cheese factory? Uh, so, cheese farm, sorry. Yeah, I was working in the Tobermory distillery a few years back and uh, there was no production happening in the distillery. It was, it was quite kind of quiet. And in a strange kind of link, when they were making whiskey in the distillery, there was uh, they'd extract the sugar from the barley, yeah. and then when they have no more use for that, the draft they call it, um, Scrubrua would actually come down and take the draft and feed it to the cows, mm. and then they milk their cows and make a cheese, one of which they put the whiskey from the distillery back into. So there's a whiskey uh, cheese. So that's a nice little link there. I've not tried that yet. Yeah, that's not bad, not yeah, bad, yeah. Um, and so. So there's a connection between the farm and the distillery there, and that's probably maybe what we started talking about. I was at a, I was at a Christmas party. Tom and Marjorie from oh, yes. Glengorm yeah. had a one of their notorious Christmas Christmas parties, and I was blethering away with yeah. uh, Garth Reed, uh, Garth and Brendan, the brothers. They <clears throat> they run the farm, yeah. and uh, I was kind of saying that there wasn't wasn't a lot happening at the distillery itself. It's quite quiet, and Garth happened to say, "Oh well, we've got um." We're, we're, we're looking for someone to come and make cheese and 
Yeah. And so it was kind of a, a drunken conversation at a, yeah. at a party. Uh, but then a few days later, I, I thought I'd just kind of follow up on yeah. it. So uh, so I sent them a message and uh, and they said, oh, yeah, do you want to come up tomorrow and and, and see how it's done? So on Hogmanay of, uh, <laughs> Hogmanay of 2017, I uh, went up, drove through the snow at half past four in the morning and uh, went up and met Brendan. Gosh. And uh, yeah, sure, I spent a day making cheese with him. And at the end of the day, he said, do you want the job? So I said, uh, aye, yeah, that'd be nice. Fantastic. So I had, uh, I had a couple of weeks there to kind of learn from the outgoing cheesemaker, yeah. Steve Palmer, before before he left. Yeah. And then it was kind of over, over to me. So it was a real crash course. Um, and how do you feel your craft as a cheesemaker has developed in that time? Then what what have you what have you learned about the kind of specifics and wonders of of this great thing? I've 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 learned a lot, and I'm still learning every day. Yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, it's an unpasteurized cheese, so yes. made with raw milk, um, traditional farmhouse cheddar, um, and because it's unpasteurized, it means there, there's a lot more variables in oh, there, okay. um, and it's it, it's it's really fast fascinating. So it's it's kind of an artistic process yeah. but it's very much backed up by science there's kind of an alchemy and a chemistry to it as well um it's also extremely physical which yeah. which i wouldn't really have anticipated how physical it is to make cheese but but it is really really physical and they're large cheeses we make as well are about 25 kilos or so per cheese and we'll make anywhere from kind of 16 to 20 in a day um, but yes yeah, it's, it's 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 been fascinating to to you know I didn't really know anything about about cheese yeah. before I started there, um, but to just take take your milk and yeah. add in your starter cultures and you coagulate it, set it, cut it, um, knock the way out, and yeah. it's it's very very interesting indeed. So yeah. and you you kind of learn the whole process up there as well. Yeah. So and you can visit it as a visitor as well can yeah you, you can local you can advice to anyone that's uh, yeah. touring around the island or even if you're from Mullen you've never maybe been up um, you could head up there and they've got nice big windows so you can see right into the dairy uh, you can see the milking parlour and you can actually go into the cheese cellar as well which is home to some 7,000 wow. cheeses at any one time how long's the cheese age for before they put it out it's around about a year okay. they look for um, so some of your cheeses are now out there yeah, consumed. Yep. The cheeses are out there in the world right now. There's some just got sent away the other day to the to the the Gulf Masters out in Augusta and the in the US. Fantastic. Um, oh, it's but it, it's a it's a very popular cheese and yeah. sold all over the world. And yeah. it's, it's kind of fascinating to to see or to imagine where it might go. A year, a year it takes. In the olden days, I think they sometimes kept it a bit longer than that, but uh, demand starts to drip supply when you make a good product. Yeah. Um, so it tried to mature it for about about a year. Yeah. Quite the opposite of a crab then. <laughs> <laughs> this crab meat is very <laughs> dry. I might, I might have to try that actually. Ferment, ferment some crab for a, oh, wow. for a year. Yeah, crabby cheese. Yeah, they probably do that in Iceland or something. Ah, exactly. It's all a bit SpongeBob. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate that. That was great. I've really enjoyed it myself. So it's nice to nice to chat about these things.
thank you so much, Neil. It was, as ever, a delight to spend time in your company. Ulva is a most remarkable island. It's among the most beautiful islands along the west coast. Over at Ormig, there's a view like no other, as you look down onto Little Colonsey and over to the Treshnish Isles. It's the header image on our SoundCloud page at the moment, with my mate Neil standing looking out over them on my stagnate a few years ago. We'll return this way with a former resident of Elva in the near future, as I've managed to get another interview with the gentleman who lived on the island some decades before Neil and the Monroe family. I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you soon. I'm so glad the seasons have changed and now we're well and truly into spring. The light at the moment is just wonderful. It's what you dream of. The lambs are out and about doing their thing and there's plenty of muir barns going on. The longer days are making a very welcome return indeed. And as I stare out the window looking up the wee hill here, I can see daffodils and green and yellow and birds. And yeah, it's just magic. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the price of a coffee and ginger cake at the Boathouse in Ulva through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. If you wanted to contribute that way, you're very welcome. But don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listen than not. And on that note, thank you very much, David. Your support is greatly appreciated. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you wanted to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you used to listen, I'd be most grateful. And thank you to those of you that have. I really appreciate it. This episode has been sponsored in kind by The Island Bakery. Everyone who takes part gets a complimentary packet of lemon melts, which are always gratefully received. Also, thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. The 24th episode has always been a significant episode in my head, as it means you've pretty much spent an entire day in my company, if you've listened to every episode so far. If you have, thank you for coming along with me. It's been a fascinating adventure so far. You poor, poor person. Kayu, <laughs> thank you for listening. Wherever you may be, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Mo rin tang, shen akate. Mm-hmm.